Can the freshman make a play? He's given time. That ball is intercepted by Radley Hiles. Buki! One of the best plays in his career. Brendan Radley Hiles picked off Max Duggan late in the fourth quarter a season ago in Norman. OU would run out the clock just barely to beat TCU 28-24 in what I kind of loosely remember as being an incredibly frustrating game to watch from the Catbird seat at Memorial Stadium last November. The Sooners won yet another close contest. Hey everyone, I am Lee Benson and this is West of Everest. No opening take today as both Grant and I have had uh, some big time busy weeks uh, last week and this week actually. Uh, but However, we do have a jam-packed show for you today. Oklahoma's back on the field this Saturday, 11 a.m. kick at TCU. You can like the show on Facebook, leave us a rating and a review on iTunes if you wish, and sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Coming up shortly, we'll talk about what we like the most about this Oklahoma team so far this year and what we like the least. Plus, will the Sooners get a little bit of help this Saturday? Then we've got an in-depth preview of the Sooners and TCU. This will be the most in-depth that we've gone into an Oklahoma opponent so far this season. I know a lot of you listeners out there enjoy our deep dives into the Sooners' upcoming opponents. So without a game last weekend, we had a little bit more time to look into TCU. And I have a lot to say about the Horn Frogs and how Oklahoma matches up with them. So let's bring in Grant now. Hopefully, Grant, you're having a pleasant day. Ah, You know, it's all right. It snowed last night in the Twin Cities. We got four inches that. of snow. It's a thing. It happened. It's the middle of October. It's come for us all. It's terrible. Man, yeah. It's, uh, I remember the last time I was in Oklahoma, the last time I was in Minnesota before I moved down to this part of the country, I moved in middle to late October, so kind of like right around here, and you and the family helped me move, but that night it, it snowed, and of course it had to snow one last time in October before I moved out of that state, maybe for good, but... Uh, Nice to see that it's still snowing in October in Minnesota. Is it still there or is it gone? Did it, did it get Oh, it's still there. In melt? fact, we're supposed to get another inch tomorrow and then three inches, uh, three to four inches this weekend. So perfect. Uh, I don't know. It's, I, I guess you could, you could say it's the perfect welcome for, for Gopher football to return. Yeah, we might talk about the Big Ten later in the show. We'll see if we get there, if we have extra time at the end. Let's jump into it. I have a couple of discussion topics I want to get to. And let's start with this. The suspended three, Ramondre Stevenson, Trajan Bridges, Ronnie Perkins. They haven't played since the Big 12 title game last year. Are we going to see these guys against TCU? Uh, Lincoln Riley, like he is every single week seemingly, he was asked about this, and in true Lincoln Riley fashion, he said that the process is still ongoing and is to be determined. So I suppose we'll see on Saturday morning if the NCAA has knocked off one game from that six-game suspension because the regular season was moved from 12 games to 10 games here in 2020. We can go a little more into details of this if we want, Grant, but uh, gut feeling, do you think we're going to see these guys this weekend, Grant? Well, I mean, let's kind of back up a little bit. Are you – so this be, being a possibility, are you only bringing that up because this is the fifth game and there was kind of that – we're not sure what the NCAA yes. is going to do. Are you are you bringing up the stuff that's happening like on social media this week? I am not aware of what's going on on social media. Do it's, you? Yeah. Okay. Maybe it's, maybe we shouldn't talk. I don't know. It's super. It's super hardcore, like message boardy stuff. But essentially, essentially, what happened? Justin Harrington, uh, the the injured safety who is supposed to be a a big time deal this year. He's a JUCO transfer. 
he tweeted out uh, kind of last week sometime, and he tagged Ronnie Perkins, Trajan Bridges, uh, Ramondre Stevenson, and I think also Seth McGowan. And it was something. It, it was something that heavily hinted that they were going to be available for TCU, and then it was deleted like four minutes later. Um, which see that, but that stuff is kind of silly. That's like that's that's rumory stuff. And then again, I think Ramondre Stevenson's mom uh, had had maybe posted something that someone could interpret it that her son would be playing this weekend. Um, now that I now that I verbalized that, it seems really <laughs> ridiculous. I don't think they're gonna play. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I I had kind of heard about the first thing you said. I hadn't heard about the mom thing, which is yeah, that's kind of funny. Uh, obviously, it'd be good if they can play. And, and just in case you all have been living under a rock, which I know listeners of this podcast have not, you all probably know this whole ordeal. Just to to recap a little bit. You know, the rule for the drug related offenses that the three guys are alleged to have committed is a penalty missing 50% of games. So there's easy math. Of course, you got a 12 game regular season. So then you miss six games. 50% of 12 is six. This season, though, obviously, Oklahoma was playing 10 regular season games. So, uh, so should the suspension then be five games? That's kind of where you get to they've missed five games. Maybe this will be the, the time where they get to come back if the NCAA has decided that. Since the season's shorter, they've knocked off two games. Maybe they've knocked off a game of that 50% uh, suspension. Obviously, the NCAA could fall back on, well, you know, when we dished out the punishment, it was based on a 12-game season. Therefore, the punishment is six games, and that is final. Or the NCAA, in theory, could, in my opinion, use some common sense and just let the guys come back. They've already missed five games. Uh, Oklahoma's two and three in those games, by the way, which is kind of weird, but if you're going to do the 50% thing, they're playing two fewer games this year. Just make it five. They are, they're already not, getting, not going to be able to play that many contests this season, which is, is totally self-imposed. So stop punishing these guys. Let them come back and play this weekend. That's, that's the way I think it should be, and I know Sooner Nation agrees with me, and I know you agree with me probably as well, right? Yeah, I agree. I don't think they ever should have been suspended, but that's, that's a conversation for a much different day. Um, no, I, I don't I, – I, I don't think they're going to play. Um, I we kind of went through this a couple weeks ago or three weeks ago with Ronnie Perkins. Like I, a lot of stuff out there that seemed like yeah he was he was ready to play and then that turned around really quickly. And so I, it, I we're, I'm definitely at the point where I'll I'll see it. You know I'll believe it when I see it. I would love for them to play. That'd be great. Um, but am I am I expecting it? No. It would be really cool, though. Like, that'd be a nice little surprise. I was going to say, I think the last surprise like that was, um, I don't know if you were super into it at this time, but in, in 2011, when they were going on the road to play Florida State, uh, they had ruled out Travis Lewis before the game. Like, he just he just wasn't going to play. And then he magically suited up, and he played. He was there. And, like, it was kind of a surprise. And I, I think that would be kind of similar in this situation. Although I think these guys probably have a, have, have a much bigger impact than someone like Travis Lewis. Um, out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. But that'd be cool. But I'm not. I'm not expecting it at all. Yeah, I really want to say that I think they're going to play, but you made a lot of realistic points there, and we already did get kind of burned on the Ronnie Perkins thing a couple weeks ago, so that uh, that's fresh in my mind. And so yeah, I'm kind of with you. I I will see it, or I I mess up the saying as well. I will believe it when I see it. Uh, Lincoln Riley's always been 
coy and not really forthcoming at all this entire time with this. We're all just looking forward to this ordeal to be over with and move on. No doubt about it. But yeah, it'd be great if they play. Let's just say hypothetically, because this is an Oklahoma football podcast, let's say they do play. Let's say all three of them are available in the game against TCU on Saturday morning. We find out, hey, they're going to play. This is great. Who do you think of the three would have the most effect on the game against TCU? Well, anyone who's listening to this podcast knows exactly who I'm going to say, and it's it's clearly Ramondre. They'd be 4-0 right now with Ramondre Stevenson as their lead back. I really firmly believe that. Um, who knows if he's if, if he's going to, you know, once he gets there, who knows if he's going to be inserted right away and just be the lead bell cow guy. He should be. Um, but, of course, I, I don't know what's been going on behind the scenes. Who knows if he's in shape? Who knows if he's ready to do that? Um but yeah, I mean, it's it's Ramondre Stevenson, and it's I don't even have to think about it for a second. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that's the easy answer uh, because it, obviously, it, like and like you said, it's a massive upgrade to the running back room if he's able to play. You throw in the fact that TCU this year in 2020s actually struggled against the run, and Oklahoma has had some historical success against TCU running the football. I think it would just it would lead to Stevenson being primed for a big game. Uh, just the, the one concern is, yeah, like you said, is he in shape? I, it sounds like, I mean, you, you breathe the tea leaves over the last few weeks or since fall camp, really. I mean, he, he's practicing. He's with the team. He's going through everything. So is Ronnie Perkins, I believe. So, I mean, they're, they're practicing from what I can tell. It's just getting into the game, getting the game flow, getting your sea legs underneath you. How long would that take him? I don't know. That would definitely factor in. I think aside from Ramondre, I think Perkins would be the next guy who would have the most effect on the game. Just because. Ooh, I disagree, actually. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, I mean, they're, OU's defensive line has been borderline great this season. They they really don't, they do not miss his production, really, at all. Um, leadership capability, maybe, you know, you have a guy like Ronnie Perkins on the defensive side of the ball as a leader, maybe that would be a big deal. But I, I mean, in terms of production, the defensive line has been really good this season. Um, maybe like maybe Perkins is, ju- is just that much better than all those other guys as well. Um but I, I just and this is not this is not to underrate Ronnie Perkins at all. But I can you really? I don't know how the D line can be that much better than they've already been. Well, here's why I don't uh, disagree with you. I think the D line has been been good. Absolutely. The reason why I say Perkins is because he would most likely be their best defensive lineman when you insert him. He, I mean, in, unless he's got, you know, get the kinks worked out because he hasn't played yet this year. Yeah, I mean, you, any, it, yeah. any more help on that on that side of the ball, on, on the defensive line and the front part of the, the defense, anybody that can help wrangle Max Duggan, help keep him in the pocket more, able to, to control him a little bit more, I think would be nice because I think, and we'll talk about this later in the show, that's the key to winning this game for the most part is slowing him down and not letting him beat you with his legs. If he's able to be contained and you, that's obviously Perkins would be his job when being a defensive end, either getting up the field, getting pressure on him or, or keeping him inside the pocket, him and the rest of the defensive line, Marcus Stripling, uh, Isaiah Thomas, the other defensive ends, uh, John Michael Terry, the rush. I mean that you keep him contained. You don't let him run. And I think the Oklahoma defense plays really, really well. That's why I think, he would be helpful, but I, uh, you, I mean, you would put Bridges ahead of it because, well, because you, I think you would like another I, really yeah, good I mean, pass catcher, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I think, I think at this point, it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world if Trajan Bridges and Jaden Hazelwood are the two best receivers on the team. You know, I, 
and if that if, if that is the the truth, I mean, inserting Trajan Bridges there is is, is going to be really good. So especially with his after the catch ability, um, that guy's just a bulldog. I I was I was really disappointed when he got suspended last year because I, I he was the guy that I thought was going to step in right away and be the most ready to play out of out of those three guys. And I, I same I thought, here. I think we were both on the same page on that one. I think we yeah. both predicted him to be yeah the big freshman receiver of the, to step up when he was out there. Like I mean, I, I I saw flashes of kind of what it is like that bulldog mentality. He just he just looks like a gamer. He's a guy that I want out there, kind of like at all times, um, and we'll—I mean, we'll see. So I, I'm, um, if all three of them come back, that'd be really cool. Hey, I mean, I, I guess you bring this up. Um, maybe I, I was almost going to say it's like, well, even if they are going to come back, it's not like Lincoln Riley's going to give us any hints at all. But Lincoln Riley has been very open the last couple weeks that Chris Murray got his waiver and he's going to play. So. You know, maybe there isn't really gamesmanship going on there, but maybe there would be with those three guys because I, those three guys I think are probably are are pretty big time players on this team, or they're expected to be. Perkins, obviously. Yeah, I'm glad you. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you brought up Murray because I don't think we really discussed that much last week. Because yes, he is available to play now. How much will he play? That'll be interesting to see. How often will he play? Where will he play? Uh, if he gets snaps against uh, TCU, we'll have to to watch out for that because the offensive line is starting to mold into shape. And Lincoln Riley says that they keep getting better, play their best game against Texas. And uh, that they're starting to get not just the offensive line, but in general, Riley, he was hinting at for the last couple of weeks, two, three weeks, they actually have their team. It sounds like a lot more players are available and are practicing. I mean, that's kind of what he's been hinting at, saying the word consistency a lot. So, you know, who knows how much the COVID and the contact tracing really was affecting them in the first part of the year. It would... Reading the tea leaves of the last sounds like a lot this week. It, it sounds like a lot. Yeah, I mean, because Riley did. He sounds really happy that he. It, it seems like he actually has a. I'm not sure if it's a full roster, but it's close to a full roster maybe that they've had practicing since probably the summer or before then. All right, so I threw a couple other discussion topics in there since we don't have a previous game to talk about and we just have the one opponent. Figure this could just be a fun discussion i'm not sure which way we're going to go with it maybe not but i want to ask you grant so far through four games oklahoma's two and two we'll start with the positive what do you like the most about this oklahoma team through four games what stands out to you what do you uh what gets you to the television set well you're always going to watch all your football but what really gets you to the the tell the tv set every single saturday whenever oklahoma plays to watch what are you excited about watching what do you enjoy I mean, it's it's I, I enjoy watching the defensive line and their development, and I'll be a little more specific there. And I, I I brought this up on the last podcast. I'm really pumped up that there are guys who weren't necessarily expected to step in and be difference makers on the defensive line, really performing and doing well. That really fires me up because that shows you that there's development happening, especially like a guy like Isaiah Thomas. And I know there's been, I, I mean, every OU podcast, every OU you know beat anywhere you go, everyone's just been kind of gushing about Isaiah Thomas, and for good reason. He has he's basically replaced Ronnie Perkins's production. Um, not the same guy. It's not what I'm saying, but production wise, he's basically replaced it. Um, guys like Nick Benito, I know that's not the defensive line, I, but that is the defensive front. To me, he's taken a clear step this season. He looks like Obo Okoronko out there. Um, and then I, I I gushed last last week about Perry and Winfrey and Josh Ellison. Um, I was pretty outspoken in the spring that I did not expect those guys to come in and make a pretty make a big impact. And it's looking like I was wrong. And I was mostly wrong about a guy like Josh Ellison. 
Like I, I went, I went and rewatched the Texas game again, and he really, he really only made you know uh, two or three plays, but. Man, the motor on that guy, and every single time it seemed like the ball was around him, he was fired up. He would like I'm talking about that bulldog mentality with Trajan Bridges. Josh Ellison's got that man. He's he's excited to be out there and he's trying to win. Uh, I just the development on the defensive line with those guys and knowing that I mean every single one of them guys are going to come back next year. I'm getting pretty excited. Like I said, you can you can start to see what they have there. You can see them starting to put put things together. I didn't necessarily expect that the d-line last season was really really good the best players on that defensive line that made it really really good ronnie perkins neville gallimore and jalen redmond they're not in uniform right now they're not on this team gallimore's in the nfl and i they're this defensive line with eight or nine guys in the rotation they're getting after it and they're fun to watch so i'm i'm kind of hoping they, they can continue it against tcu i think a lot of the times as ou fans we're sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop and maybe for them to have that game where it's you know they're they're brought back down to reality, um, so I'm I'm, I'm going to be watching out for that quite a bit in this game. I'm I'm thinking they're going to really affect the game again against TCU because TCU's offensive line, and and the very brief you know times that I've seen them, they haven't been very good. Texas's defensive line was getting quite a bit of push on them. Uh, Max Duggan has covered up a lot of their uh, kind of a lot of their issues on the offensive line with his mobility. Yeah, it's kind of neat that the position group that we were all mostly concerned about leading into the 2020 season, the defensive line because of all the players they lost. And then you learn about Jalen Redmond. And then of course, you know, Ronnie Perkins isn't going to be there. That position group we were all concerned about probably the most of, of everyone. And yet that's the group that has really been able to do it as much of what Alex Grinch wants to do in the speed D with tons of substitutions, playing tons of guys, getting fresh bodies in there. So it's just, Snappy, 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 always fast, always conditioned, always running at 100, 100 miles an hour. Uh, that's the position group that's been able to do that, whereas in the secondary, I know against Texas, they played a lot of different guys, but you're still seeing Pat Fields play basically every single snap. You're seeing Buki play, for the most part, every single snap. Uh, and then the linebackers, you're basically just seeing two guys. You're seeing Ogwebu and Deshaun White here and there. Uh, so it, it is kind of cool that the, the one group that we were kind of like, I don't know about this group has been the one that has been the most Alex Grinch, most speed D-ish of all the position groups. And, so yeah, you know, it's, it's I pretty don't, cool. I, when I watch them, I, it doesn't look like they're really overachieving at all. I, there's some good athletes in there, and they're moving really well, and they're, they're performing. So, um, geez, I mean, just think maybe what they could look like. You know, they, they got two weeks off, two weeks to rest up, two weeks to study more tape, two weeks to get better. I mean, this is this is that's a group that's gotten better every single game so far, and when you're rotating eight or nine guys, that's pretty freaking exciting. I, all those guys can play. They were, you know, the, the second team defensive line was just as impactful as the first teamers out there. And like, how often can you say that? And I'm not saying I'm not saying they're like on an Alabama level where they got, you know, where every single one of the guys is like a top three round draft pick. I'm not saying that at all, but. It's looking like they might have eight or nine like good to really good college football players there. And man, I'll go to battle with that any day of the week. Yeah, it's great. Uh, Isaiah Thomas talking about Perrion Winfrey today, uh, recording this on Wednesday. That's an NFL. Uh, was, he's an NFL player. <laughs> yeah, I, Isaiah Thomas said it's just it was a, it's been astounding to see how far Perrion's come since since he got on campus. He said even at, you know not having a spring, uh, he's 
watching Perry on perform at a really high level, just his passion for the game. He's super determined. And the best line that Isaiah had describing his teammate Winfrey is that uh, – to Isaiah Thomas, it looks like to him that Perrion Winfrey is treating every single down like it's the last down of football he's ever going to play. And I, you love to hear that. And you know what? It, he looks like that when you see him out there. I mean, he's going 100 million thousand percent, and he looks like – I think you mentioned this before on this podcast. He's a get-off-the-bus first guy or whatever the heck that saying is. Uh, he's big, scary-looking dude, and he is coming into his own, and it's great to see. He looks uh, like when he's on the field and in his uniform, like when you're watching him on TV. Um, and this, is, I mean, this is kind of a deep cut, but he looks like uh, he looks like the f- a former Auburn defensive lineman uh, Derek Brown, who was a first round pick this season uh, of the Carolina Panthers. I'm not saying that Perry and Winfrey is right now definitely a first round pick. He just they, they just they look similarly. They have similar body types and they move similarly. All right. So what do I like the most? about this team and I was wanting to think outside the box with this topic here's so bear with me here I actually really like that I see a lot of promise in this roster and despite being two and two I know this team is much closer to four and oh like a four and oh type caliber group than than like a one and three team which which Oklahoma could be one and three if the ball would have bounced a couple different ways which you might think okay what does that mean that sounds kind of confusing I mean, okay, simply the quarterback, we know he's really good. Yeah, he's made some mistakes because he's young, but he's really darn good. Uh, The defense is actually more good than bad. I'm not happy with their inability to finish teams off late in games, but similarly, I have to be critical about the offense's inability at times to finish off teams and pick up first downs late in games and put teams away. So that's kind of a team thing right there as they have not been able to finish. But what gives me hope and excitement is that we're slowly seeing some of the young players get more and more reps in game situations, and they're showing a bunch of promise. Specifically, you got Woody Washington and Jaden Davis. I know he played last year, but he's still considered a young player in that secondary. And now I want to see some young guys step up and specifically win that free safety job, take it away from Pat Fields. Uh, I know Fields is a captain. Alex Grinch defended his guy on Wednesday. He said that Fields has been one of the steadiest players on the defense. He says that... Uh, what he's really confident when Fields is out there that the guys are going to get all lined up properly uh, and that his breakdowns and coverage that we've seen uh, it's just simply sometimes he gets there too early and you know if he would have gotten there on time he just he'd have more PBUs so Grinch defends his guy he, he he continues to preach consistency but you know Fields has committed four penalties this year holding pass interference he's not alone Trey Brown Buki also guilty of four each I'm curious to see if Woody Washington and Jaden Davis, now that they're playing a lot more snaps, and I know Davis has played a little bit more than Woody has this year, and Davis has been really good. Are those players going to get penalized more with more snaps? I think that's a fair question. We'll see. Uh, Anytime you play DB in the Big 12, there's going to be plenty of chances to get flagged. But I think Washington's technique is just really good. At least it was against Texas. And I think it was a lot of the times against LSU in that Peach Bowl all those months ago, even though... Oklahoma gave up a lot of points and a lot of balls through the air. He was, he had pretty good coverage a lot of the time, and, and Joe Burrow was making some great throws. I think Jaden Davis, the same, really good technique. I don't see as much grabbing and pulling and tugging and chasing with those guys. Uh, and, you know, even, for instance, whenever Davis was trailing his receiver on a deep ball against Texas in the second half, he was able to catch up, did a great job, turned his head, and knocked the ball away. You already talked about the defensive line. The D-line's really promising. Linebackers are getting there. 
they're going to be challenging against Max Duggan this week, uh, you know, especially if they're going to be asked to spy him a bunch like Deshaun White did against Sam Ellinger. I like how Oklahoma is stopping the running game well. Uh, the teams aren't being able to run the ball against him very well right now. Uh, we're seeing young DBs play better technique, uh, provide better coverage in those high leverage situations. So perhaps speed D, maybe it can work in the future. That's kind of what I'm seeing. And we're seeing the early stages of it right now. So I think that's what I like the most about this team. I guess kind of similar to you. You're more specific to the defensive line. But I, I was very critical after the K-State game. But now that we're seeing a little, some of those younger players come in, Grant, I, you know, maybe this defense can work if you get the right guys in there. That's exciting. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that can be said by, you know, about a lot of defenses. So is this the right time because you brought up the LSU game? Is this, uh, is this the right time to bring up what I texted you about this? Or uh, is it earlier this week or this weekend <laughs> about how? Yeah. So I, I don't know if any of you guys saw this, but um, per pro football focus, Justin Jefferson, the rookie receiver from LSU, is the top graded receiver in the NFL. Not just, not just rookie receiver, but the top graded receiver overall in the National Football League. And I think there's, there may be enough evidence right now to say that Oklahoma in that game was going up against the best collection of weapons in the history of college football in that game. With yeah, that's insane. With going against the quarterback who had the best season ever for a pass thrower in college football history. Justin Jefferson right now is arguably one of the best receivers in the NFL just right, just right out of the college game. Jamar Chase won the freaking Bolitnikoff last year. And Terrace Marshall Jr. right now, I think, leads the SEC in receiving. He was their third option last season. That's pretty... Clyde uh, edwards Hilaire is in the backfield. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. The, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I forgot about edwards Hilaire, who was... Oh, actually, he didn't even play in that game, really, though. Yeah, he didn't That's play. That's right. He was like, he was he like didn't hurt. Play. He had, I think he had one or two snaps. That, yeah, didn't even, and, need um, didn't even need him in that game. Those, those three receivers went up against Trey Brown and Pat Fields and Buki... And, Parno uh, Motley held his own. I I, I, I feel kind of stupid now for thinking that that game, like they they had a chance to you know to lose that game by less than three touchdowns. I know, like that was, it's kind of silly that that I thought that now, but um, yeah, as, as, as the further and further we get from that game, the more it's just like, uh, yeah, they 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 were just they were clearly playing the best team in the history of this sport in the modern era. <laughs> Going up against, you know, and LSU knew exactly what to do against OU's 5-9 defensive backs. Yeah, all of their confidence and they weren't like jerks about it leading up to the game, like some of the players. But you could tell they were like, yeah, we, we know we're really good. And it was all uh, warranted. They, they knew they were going to roll over that Oklahoma defense and they did. Parnell Motley, man, they didn't want any of that smoke. Yeah. They didn't really go after him at all. Right, yeah, they didn't have to. Well, hey, that's <laughs> like, a, he's a he's the, the the one NFL guy in their secondary they didn't want to pick on. Yeah, where's he at now? I saw he got picked up by a different team. He's not with San Tampa Francisco. Anymore. He went San Francisco. Well, they're they're pretty injured. I'm sure they could use him somewhere. We'll see. All right, next question, just the opposite question. We did the positive. Let's do the negative. What about this Oklahoma team through four games? Do you like the least? Sitting here trying to going over like multiple choice in my brain. So it's obviously I don't really like the running backs. I don't like the safeties. And I also don't like their discipline with the penalties and whatnot and the celebrations and the 
all of that. So if I had to narrow that down, the thing that bugs me the most is the lack of discipline and the celebrating every single play when you're not, you know, when you don't have much of a track record. Stuff like that. That's kind of that's you know that's kind of ticky tack and picky. You know, I I, I get that, but um, man, it bugs me. You know, it's bad when like it's it, it's tough to kind of you know pump your fist about a really good play on defense when you have to stop and wait to see if there's going to be a flag thrown. I mean, it's 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 gone to the point where it's like you you have to do that. Like I I don't I, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, how about we implement uh, a new rule? So if you're a defensive back and you get called for a PI or a holding penalty, you've got to make at least two, if not three, PBUs before you're allowed to do the, the incomplete sign or like celebrate it again. Like if you get, if you get a dumb penalty, then you're not allowed to celebrate a, a basic pass breakup or tackle. You just have to make the play and go back to the huddle. How about that? that, that that's a new rule. But if you can string together some nice plays and not get penalized and not get beat. All right. Then you're allowed to, to celebrate some plays here and there. I mean, I think there's, there's definitely situations <laughs> that call for it and it typically depends on the game flow. Like for instance, like let's say I could, I mean, I could even see it like on the first series of the game, if you're at home and then the crowd is super into it and you're going up against a good team and it's a good atmosphere. I can see it in that situation. I can see it if it's on a, if it's on like a third down and you're going to get off the field. But I mean, geez, man, when it's the first play of the game and it's first and ten, and Sam Ellinger like overthrows his receiver by fifteen yards, what are you <laughs> celebrating for? And I know that didn't happen, but that it was funny. So yeah, it's it's a cliche at this point. The uh, the DBs who do celebrate whenever the quarterback just throws it into the stands. Um, yeah, those are some good ones. Mine's kind of similar. Uh, similar, like, you know, it, this might not be fair. Uh, but this, this this team doesn't seem to be very mentally tough. It's what I like the least. And I mean, look at the late game collapses. I, that that's my evidence for the lack of mental focus and toughness. Not just one, but three in a row. They're not playing Missouri State, and it's been happening back to back to back. And, and fortunately, Oklahoma was able to win the last one for the first time in in three. You know, they're 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 focused. And, and they fire on all cylinders for the most part for the first two quarters. Uh, you know, the team is pretty good in the third, we've seen. But then when the opposing team is trailing in the fourth quarter, Oklahoma cannot put them away. And again, we've seen it three straight games against K-State. Oklahoma's offense went down and scored a touchdown after K-State's first explosive play that kind of got them some life. So the offense picked up the defense, but then the defense allowed another absurd explosive play in that game. And then things started to snowball. The offense turned it over. Gave up a short field, a special teams problem, got that blocked punt, so on and so forth. It just turned into a team effort of ineptitude. Against Texas, the defense constantly got Texas off the field with a two-score lead in the second half over and over again, but the offense couldn't go down and then bury Texas. Multiple chances, nothing doing, and then Texas stayed alive, and then the defense in the end finally broke. Team effort, it wasn't there. I think this is all – it. It comes from above. I mean, I know it's easier said than done, but it, they, these players take, take their, their cues from their leaders, from their coaches, and leaders on the team, too, which uh, I, I don't know. Um, you know, only two captains this year. I'm not sure how much that matters, but, you know, I, for whatever reason, these guys, they get really tight late in games. And, I mean, the teams they played, like, Iowa State's a good team, I guess. Texas is 
fine. Like, but like relative to like the upper echelon of college football, these aren't really that good at teams and they can't put these teams away. So, I mean, fortunately for Oklahoma, it's two and two. They're not going to, they're not in jeopardy of reaching the playoff and getting exposed by a much better team in 2020. Like, like what happened against LSU last year. I think Oklahoma's had a winning culture for years now, no doubt about that. But they got to evolve. They got to start evolving. Their culture needs to be more like a, a take no prisoners attitude. Like winning is expected. We expect to win. And guess what? We're going to bury you and not just bury you, but we're going to bury your spirits as well. You're not going to have any chance. And that needs to start evolving. And I think you've hit on this the last couple of shows referencing Clemson, what Clemson finally has turned into, Grant. I think that's really interesting considering uh, Clemson, yeah, was kind of one of those teams on the cusp. And finally, in a conference that's not very good, they have now dominated. And then even when they play the elite teams, they also are a lot of times better than those elite teams in other conferences. Yeah, you know, a, a combination of, of the culture that Brent Venables created on their defense plus the arrival of Deshaun Watson was what they needed. And I think, you know, the OU is, I think, is, is just kind of small step-by-step step building that up. There was a lot of things that were there. I feel like Kyler Murray coming here and having that one season was a step. Jalen Hurts coming uh, last season was a step. Alex Grinch getting here last season was a small step. Um, it's, you know, just brick by brick and build it to borrow a, you know, to borrow a very cliche football term there. Uh, you know, I, 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 I share a lot of uh, kind of what you mean, but... Don't you, if you're going to bring up all that stuff, don't you kind of also have to say that, hey, they, they showed some mental toughness against Texas in overtime? Sure. Yeah, I mean... Uh, there was a lot of sudden changes there that I I thought... I mean, how many times... There, there were numerous times during overtime where I was like, oh, that's it. It's done. Like, I mean... Sure. That, after Like, after Burkich missed, missed his field goal, did you, like, did you... I didn't think they were going to win the game after that. After after oh, yeah. Texas tied the game at the end of the game, I didn't think they were going to win, and they like they kept getting up off the mat and swinging, and like I think may, maybe just yeah maybe the the crazy rivalry OU Texas is what they needed to focus themselves in those moments. They very clearly wanted to win that game really badly. Yeah, that's good. Good take. You're right. You know, maybe my my um, let's see, what's the right the right word? I, Mike, you know, since since Oklahoma went into the game one and two, you know, my, my thoughts of kind of just like, yeah, I mean, I know this team's probably going to you know, do the same thing they've done the last two games. You know, maybe the fact that they should not have gotten into the scenario of overtime in the first place. After that, I kind of was like, ah, whatever. I mean, this team blew it. And that's kind of clouding my my judgment a bit because you're right. They did make some competitive big time plays in the overtime offensively the the touchdown to Stogner was huge I mean that was big time stuff and then yeah coming back from a missed field goal and and scoring again and and then uh getting a defensive stop so yeah I mean that I think we talked about it last week is this are they going to turn the corner is this going to lead to better things or are we going to see more of the same moving forward yeah I mean I think we do got to be careful though I mean that that is it's it's not everything is not great now because they beat Texas in overtime I mean I've I've watched college football for for 25 years I've yeah I've I've seen a bunch of amazing games where bad teams won in really high leverage situations and then the next week they remained bad like I mean that happens so yeah. um I, we can't get too carried away we're, we're, we're really close to the team and sometimes I think we we do try to create narratives in our head because that's very it's a very human tendency and Oklahoma is our favorite team um but no I, I mean I, I hope that's just one other skin that they can post onto their wall 
It's like, okay, we cleared that hurdle. That's that's something that we didn't do in the previous two games. Um, and if you want to use that as something to build on, then I guess more power to you. Yeah, apathy is what I was looking for earlier. My apathy towards the team and the game because of the way it went. Maybe that cloud. I didn't see it. Like, in terms go. of apathy, I definitely, it, it kind of felt that way during Kansas State when it was happening. I didn't necessarily feel that same way when they were playing Iowa State. Um, mm-hmm. And definitely not against Texas. I mean, they they blew that game. That was, oh, you had no business being in overtime in that game. And they were still able to, you know, they were still able to kind of regroup and, and win the game. And it was, you know, it was fun. That was a fun game. All right, let's talk TCU, Grant. And we're going to go offense, defense, the matchups, and then we're going to talk about what we, uh, what we want to have happen in the game later on and then uh, what we think will happen. And we'll see if any of us has any guts to make a prediction because so far this year our predictions have not been any good. We'll see if uh, by the time we talk through all this, this TCU stuff, we'll, we'll feel like we are confident enough to make a, a call on what's going to happen. So first off, let's begin with Oklahoma's offense when it's on the field against TCU's defense. And the main thing, the main um, storyline of this matchup, I think, is running the football. OU's offensive line and running backs. In the history since Lincoln Riley's arrived at Oklahoma in 2015, Oklahoma has dominated TCU on the ground. The Sooners are averaging 283 rush yards per game against TCU since 2015 OU winning all of those games and then you look at this year you got Oklahoma in the bottom half of college football in rushing yards per game Oklahoma was only averaging 144 yards on the ground per game which is 51st in the nation and I think there's only something like 72 teams playing right now so they're they're in the bottom part of college football and even more alarming is that Oklahoma is only averaging 3.6 yards per carry this year which is 55th in the nation and and just to give you some some context of how bad the numbers look this year for Oklahoma's running game compared to previous Lincoln Riley led offenses Oklahoma's worst rushing year as far as yards per game was in 2017 that 2017 team that was awesome OU averaged 217 yards per game 27th best in the nation and they averaged 5.5 yards per carry which is really really good Uh, their worst yards per carry average was Riley's first year grant in 2015 but they averaged five yards per carry which is still pretty darn solid in college football Uh, I list those numbers off to you currently and then what Oklahoma has done in the past how uh, I don't know I mean I I guess you're not shocked because you know the running game is not getting the job done but what's the most shocking of any of these numbers to you Man, 3.6 yards per carry still just doesn't seem right. And I know, like, there's there's know. sack yardage in there, and they, they've had a lot of kind of, like, negative plays on the ground, too. But I don't, like, when they've handed it off to the running backs, it's not like they've just been freaking swarmed behind the line of, of scrimmage this season. That didn't really happen at all. It's just, it's more like, uh, they run into a pile two yards down the field, and they don't really get any more yards. So, I don't know, yeah, I mean, surprising... I, you know, I, I don't think anything can be as bad as that 2009 team running the ball. I don't know how much you remember that season, but they, I mean, they talk about just running into a brick wall, like every single play. Um, <laughs> I always just, I, I always just kind of, you know, base like, uh, my opinion on their run game, like with that, with that season in context, 
and the run game on this team is so much better than that season. Um, and also too, like in, in 2015, they, they struggled to run the ball really until kind of the, the second half of the season. They didn't really hit their stride when, and that was when uh, P Ryan and Mixon started to really get going uh, behind the new blocking schemes and whatnot. So, you know, I this isn't great, but this has been a well-worn subject between you and I, and I think those numbers are going to start looking way better when they insert Ramondre Stevenson. And I know, like, I know that sounds like a quick fix and an easy fix, but I think Ramondre Stevenson is a freaking dude. And I think TJ Pleasure is nice. I think he's a decent third down back. I think the other two guys out there really aren't, aren't, aren't quite ready to be major contributors at the college level. Yeah, we've been banging that drum since, uh, since after the Kansas State game. So we'll see. Once they finally do get Ramondre back, we'll see how that pans out. Riley, and yeah, and if, it's, we- and if it's the same deal and they're, they're struggling and, and I'll, I mean, I'll eat crow all day long, but there, there's, I, I really do think the running backs have left a lot on the field that I, I don't think that Ramondre is going to leave. Well, yeah, speaking of that, Riley kind of parroted that uh, again this week. He, he, does, he did say that the running game, it's progressed since the start of the year. He, he admitted, he said, yeah, the first two games, really all, all facets weren't, weren't that good. Missouri State and Kansas State, which is it's terrible that Missouri State wasn't very good, but it, it wasn't. It wasn't that good. He said that against Iowa State, he thought the offensive line was cleaner, but against Iowa State, he thought the running backs didn't play very well. Uh, but then against Texas, he said the offensive line played its best game. He said the running backs took some steps against Texas, had some explosive runs, but the backs, like you just said a moment ago, still left some plays out on the field. This is the game, Grant, for Oklahoma's run game to break out. All the ingredients are there. We got an underwhelming TCU run defense, which is that's kind of rare. Gary Patterson's teams usually stop the run pretty well. You got a history of Riley's offense racking up tons of yards on the ground against TCU. It's game number five. We're middle of the season, just about the time every year when Bill Biedenboe's offensive line finally begins to gel, finally starts to pave the way. I know Creed Humphrey, when I talked to him back in August, asked him about this kind of theory about the offensive line gelling. He's like, he said, yeah, you know, we, we don't have time to gel given that the season's shorter. And that was the right answer. He was right. But unfortunately, uh, you know, in my opinion, the running backs, and I know you agree with this, they, they weren't good enough early on to help the offensive line as they were coming along through the first two, three games of the year. I, I think the O-line graded out really well against Texas. It's time to build on that performance against a worse run defense. And then, hey, if Ramondre Stevenson comes back, which again, to reiterate, both you and I, we don't necessarily think that's going to happen. But if it did, that would just be icing on the cake and would point to everything to this being kind of the game for Oklahoma to break out. And Riley actually mentioned on Tuesday this week that the running backs are position he thinks can break out soon. So that's that's what you know, that's the main offensive thing <laughs> to look at, I think, in this game. Is that again, all the ingredients are there for Oklahoma's running game to be really good on Saturday. Yeah, we'll see. Lincoln Riley kind of uh ever since he has stepped foot in the Big Twelve, he kind of owns Gary Patterson. Like uh, Gary Patterson really struggles with Lincoln Riley. Um, and I mean, Gary Patterson has the, has the reputation for being the defensive guy, the defensive guy in the big 12. And he's got the reputation for being really good schematically. And I think there's something about Lincoln Riley. He just can't really figure out. And it has a lot to do. TCU is known for having an undersized defensive line. They're known Gary Patterson's 
uh, his MO was always turning safeties into linebackers. They're undersized at the linebacker position. OU has huge athletic offensive lines, and a lot of the times they've just been able to kind of push TCU off the ball in those games. And I think that's why they've had so, so much success running the ball. So, I don't know. Can they do that this year? I, I, w- I wouldn't necessarily say the OU, OU's offensive line has been like physically dominant. They really haven't gotten a ton of push. Um, they haven't. They also haven't really given up a lot of push in the backfield, except for you know uh, Tyrese Robinson on on occasion sometimes. But um, we'll see. This is really interesting. Um, there's there are some people who think uh, who think TCU is going to give OU a lot of fits. Um, I know I know Keegan Renault on the on the Inside OU podcast is really worried about this game, and um, I don't know. I I might be kind of there with them. I'm I think I'm at that. I think I'm at that point right now where I think I told I told you this before coming on the podcast, but. OU is playing a competent opponent, so that means it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a dogfight. <laughs> uh, just a couple of numbers to back up TCU's rush defense this year not being all that good. They're allowing 178 yards per game. That's ninth in the Big 12. And they're giving up 5.9 yards per carry. So, I mean, something's got to give this and week that's, when it comes hey, to running the and, ball. I mean, that's something to bring up. That's going against three teams that – don't really run the ball that well. Uh, I, I mean, Iowa State is the best running team out of all those, um, but Kansas State's not running the ball well so far this season, and Texas definitely isn't. I mean, you you saw how impotent they are running the ball mm-hmm. against OU. Um, yeah. And if I if I remember, yeah, Texas's running backs were getting some pretty clear lanes against TCU, and that's just that that daylight did not exist against OU's front seven. So. Um, Definitely interesting. I, I, TCU, I think, was also one of those teams. I, I wouldn't been surprised if I, I think they were kind of decimated by COVID on the, in the early parts as well. You know, they had a game postponed, canceled. Didn't they? They didn't even play a non-conference game, right? I don't think so. No. Yeah, they've only played three. Yep. So I don't know. Yeah, the you know TCU's front seven maybe is is just is kind of struggling this season to uh, to gel. But yeah, that's I mean. I had no idea they were struggling that much. And the fact that you they've played Texas and Kansas State is a big eye-opener to me because I those two teams, uh, you know, and OU lost to Kansas State, those two teams have just just were not impressive running the ball at all. It looked like it just wasn't a big part. Like, they just couldn't do it outside of the one Deuce Vaughn run where OU wasn't set. But, right, man. So here's some stats, though, that, you dive in a little bit more, and you realize maybe TCU's defense. By the way, the TCU's pa- TCU's pass defense is has been really good. Uh, they're only allowing 188 yards per game. That's 16th in the country. So they they've been kind of torn up on the ground, but pass defense wise, they've been pretty good. But I I, I dug more more into these numbers, and I kind of found out the TCU's defense this year. It's been pretty feast or famine, and I bet TCU fans are are feeling a lot like the way Oklahoma fans are feeling defensively because, man, TCU this year has been prone to giving up some massive explosive plays. TCU has allowed 12 plays of 30-plus yards. They've allowed 10 plays of 40-plus yards. Outside of the big plays this year, TCU's defense has been pretty darn good, and Listen to these numbers, man, and it it's it's pretty crazy. So Iowa State, Iowa State had five explosive plays in the game. 75 yards, touchdown. 49 yards, 49 yards, touchdown. 
44 yards, 32 yards, and a touchdown. So that's 249 yards on just five plays. If you take those plays away, Iowa State averaged just 3.7 yards per play in a game in which they won 37 to 34. It was close. So you take away the explosive plays, and Iowa State didn't do anything. You go to the Texas game. Texas also had five explosive plays in the game. 52 yards, a 45-yard touchdown, 36 yards, 40 yards, and 52 yards. That's 225 on five snaps. You take those plays away. Texas averaged only 2.9 yards per play in that game. So outside of five explosive plays, Texas didn't do anything against TCU. And then you go to Kansas State a couple weeks ago, just three explosive plays, but one of them went for 80. One went for 45, and the other was, was 24. So not as big as some of the other ones. But if you take away those plays, K-State Grant only got 2.5 yards per play. So I did the math. <laughs> when TCU is not giving up an explosive play this year, teams are averaging a whopping three yards per play against the Frogs, which to me is like, holy cow, you limit the explosive plays and your defense is awesome. So to me, that, that seems pretty similar to what Oklahoma's defense has been doing this year, where you take away the explosive plays against the Sooners and this def- the defensive numbers would be really good. Is that, I mean, I, to me, it's, that's insane. I mean, Oklahoma has not had very many explosive plays on the ground, which TCU's given up a lot of explosive running plays. I, I, this TCU team wants to give up big plays to you. Oklahoma needs to get them. But they also need to find ways to, to pick up chunk yardage that are not explosive plays because TCU's been really good outside of those big plays, Grant. It's pretty crazy. It's a really good thing that, that you, uh, those yeah. explosive plays do count, and they've given yeah. up lots of them. They've given up 10 plays of 40-plus yards in three games? Yes. That's, I mean, that's enough to say that it's a, that's a problem for their defense. That yeah, there's man. something that, you know, so... Something's got to give. Yeah, you're right. OU has struggled to generate really big explosive plays this season on offense. I mean, relatively speaking, kind of to their baseline. So something's got to give, right? Um, this has always exactly. kind of been the bit with TCU's defense. They're they're all like they're always aggressive, get a lot of tackles for loss. Sometimes they give up a big play. And this could be conducive to getting big plays in the passing game. Actually, TCU this year, their defensive line has not been able to get pressure on the quarterback. Only four sacks all season long. That is, uh, that's like as good as Kansas right now, Grant. Uh, TCU's defense is not getting after it. Um, they're like at the bottom of the Big 12. They're not getting pressure. Uh, it, it's at the, near the bottom of college football. And it's, it's kind of impressive that TCU's pass defense numbers are actually pretty strong when the D-line hasn't been able to create much havoc. That must mean that they're covering pretty well in the back end. Covering well or, I mean, or applying pressure but not getting home. Uh, I'll be honest. I Sam Ellinger stayed pretty clean in the one full TCU game that I've seen. He wasn't under a ton of pressure, and he was consistently he was under. shot, though. Yeah, he, he was, was missing a lot of throws. Did I Did I have my hot did, – did I last week, did I say my hot take that Sam Ellinger didn't really play that well last week? Did I, did I already say that? Or against – meaning it's OU? Yeah, yeah, I th- I think you, I think you did. Yeah, I mean his his yeah his 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 value in that game was derived entirely from his legs, uh, but in terms of in terms of him dropping back and 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 throwing footballs to open receivers, he was 
he he played one of his worst games as a Longhorn, and I'm I'm being serious. He wasn't he was not very good against OU, throwing no, the ball. No, he, well, you know how I feel about Sam Ellinger. I I've never yeah, that was, thought he was particularly great. That may that may have been the game that finally uh, convinced me. I've been I've kind of always been on the Ellinger is is actually really good and underrated, and OU fans should probably not poo poo him as much as as they do. In that in that in, in last week's game, I saw it. I finally saw what everyone else was seeing. I saw it. OU did a really good job of of forcing him into positions that he was just not capable of getting out of with his arm. Yeah, I mean, he's he's taken advantage his entire career of being a really big dude who is somewhat fast and hard to tackle. And that's that's where he's derived a lot of his success. And he's been able to make decent throws here and there, but that Texas game is a lot of quick, short throws that pads his completion percentage and for whatever reason this year he has not made a lot of those throws he's been off and I mean I'll, I'll give him credit I mean he's he's usually pretty accurate with the football I don't think he's asked to make a lot of big time throws and, and you know as well as I do the a big part of Texas's offense the last however many years he's been there has been the big the jump ball offense just throw jump balls to your receivers and let them make plays and, and they've been really good at that <laughs> they've been fantastic with that uh, but uh, I, yeah I, I'm if he's a uh, again like we talked about this before. He's allowed to come back next year, right? I, I would not be surprised. If he yeah, did. he like, is. Why not keep playing college football? Yeah, I, I kind of he's an NFL I, player. Yeah, there was there there was a very small uh, a small amount of time where I was kind of convincing myself. I think I think he is going to come back for that fifth year. I don't think <laughs> I, I don't think so. I, I think that's that's a bad look. I, I don't, especially when they have a. I, I think they have Hudson Card on on campus. He was a really highly recruited guy. It's a bad look if he stays again. Like especially, I mean, Tom Herman's gonna get fired for sure. And I, I don't. It doesn't make sense for him to stick around for a, for a regime change. Oh, you think it's a done deal that Herman's out, huh? Yeah, I do. the hmm. the The fan base is revolting, and yeah, the boosters are part of the fan base. So I mean, sure. it's I the boosters run that program. So yeah, he's gonna be done. Man. Uh, last little nuggets on the Oklahoma offense versus the Kansas State defense that I noticed against uh, against Kansas State, TCU against K State. Uh, the, their best their best linebacker Garrett is it Garrett Wallow, I believe, um, leads the team in tackles. He looked a little bit uh, like he was pretty aggressive, biting in the RPO game, uh, and, and it worked well a couple times because K State was able to run the ball pretty well at, in certain parts of that game, which it ended up opening up the middle of the field for Kansas State's tight end. And we know Oklahoma has that RPO. They have the pop pass in their playbook. We haven't seen that RPO yet this year when Oklahoma goes with the two-back set and they leak one of them out into the middle of the field and the linebackers come up against the run. I remember the Sooners using that quite a bit with Trey Sermon. because they don't have two running backs they trust. Yeah, that's that's probably a big part of it. I I remember them using that, yeah, with Sermon quite a bit. Because last year it was was Brooks and Stevenson running it at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Well, TCU, they always like to play a lot of two deep shell with their safeties. And when that linebacker, that middle linebacker bites up, it leaves the middle of the field wide open. So I think that could be a, a place for Oklahoma to exploit TCU in the passing game if, uh, if TCU continues to do that. And, and whatever Riley sees from Gary Patterson's defense, he's able to pick a part at it. I, uh, I think it's, they've averaged something like 39 points a game under Riley against Patterson, like 518 yards per game. I mentioned, you know, 280 plus on the ground. 
and 6.6 yards per play. So each coach has a lot of respect for one another. But so, so far, Lincoln Riley's been able to figure it out. Let's flip it. Oklahoma's defense, TCU's offense. And I kind of alluded to this at the beginning of the show. Max Duggan is the key here. And think back to last year's game, Grant. He, he killed Oklahoma in the running game. He had that explosive run on a speed option. And he had other numerous speed option gains, including a touchdown run in the third quarter. Look at his passing line. Duggan was 7 of 21 for 65 yards and that interception that we played for you in the intro. So he did everything on the ground with his legs. And the beginning portion of that game, Oklahoma was dominating TCU. It wasn't until Duggan popped off that 60, 70-yard run on the speed option that Oklahoma kind of got on its heels a bit and started second-guessing themselves and TCU's offense started playing better. Not to mention Oklahoma's offense turned it over a lot in that game. It gave TCU a short field a couple of times. And then, of course, in the fourth quarter, Jalen Hurts threw a 90-plus yard pick six that gave TCU a, a touchdown that made the game closer. Overall, though, in that game, whatever Alex Grinch's defense was doing against TCU's offense in 2019 was working most of the time. Grant, I think TCU only had like 200 yards of total offense in that game. So... And a big reason why is because of Max Duggan's legs. He was the offense. So that's why I think he is the key in this game. That's his strength. This year, through the air, he hasn't done a whole lot since the Iowa State game. Uh, most of his damage against Texas and against K-State was with his legs. I know you watched a lot of that Texas game. Uh, he did take a lot of hits against K-State. He missed some time in that game. And, and that was bad for TCU because Matthew Downing, their other quarterback, came in and threw a terrible pick six that ended up being the difference in that game. They only lost by a touchdown. But, it, it, again, it's simple to me. It's, it's Duggan. You keep him in the pocket. You contain him. Prevent him from running it. Make him beat you from the pocket. Make him throw it. He ain't all that accurate, really. His stats look pretty good throwing the ball. But you watch the tape. A lot of the same throws here and there. He throws slants. He throws quick hits. And he'll throw deep every once in a while. It's not, he's not really going through the whole passing tree. So, again, that's why I think Ronnie Perkins, another defensive lineman to help rein him in a bit, would be great for Oklahoma. Because if, if Dunning, Dunning, uh, Duggan, <laughs> I got Downing and Duggan mixed. Um, if Duggan doesn't have much of a day running the ball, I think Oklahoma's defense is gonna gonna eat. Honestly, I, if he can't run it, they're gonna they're gonna play really well. I think that's the key to the game. Yeah, I think I, I think the thing that you worry about the most is you worry about TCU spread no you out four and five wide, and then you're worried about Duggan's legs with all of those running lanes and all of the space. That's the thing that I'm most scared of. Um, and they've, you know, OU has a history of struggling with the quarter, like athletic quarterbacks in the run game like that, especially on the edge. They've been a lot better setting the edge this season. Um, actually, if you remember, they were really good setting the edge in the first half of last year until John Michael Terry got hurt. Um, and he's yeah. back, and he's 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 kind of just doing the same thing that he did last year. So, um, yeah, good call. You would you would hope that Alex Grinch going into this game knows that the first thing you need to take away is Duggan's legs. Because that's, you know, and that, that's his that's his lifeline, too. I feel like whenever there's any sort of pressure in the pocket, he's going to be looking to, to, to run. Take away his first option, he's going to be looking to run. So how do they do that? Do they do that with, uh, with edge players trying to keep contained? Do they do that with a spy? Um, what they should do is probably a bit of a combo of both. Um, 
Man, I, I like the idea. Just I mean, they're they've been so good on the edge getting pressure. I, I like the idea of, of the guys on the edge just trying to keep contain, beating their guys and then keeping contain. Um Maybe maybe that's just too much of like an NFL strategy. I've seen uh, I've seen NFL teams have a lot of success with Lamar Jackson doing that. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's something to consider, but uh, I'm I'm sure it's going to be a combination of stuff. All I know is that uh, on plays where they're super spread out and they're obvious dug and draw or run plays, and he picks it up, I'm going to be furious and pissed off. That's all I know. Yeah, yeah. I think Grinch. He knows exactly that about his legs. He knows that's the main thing. He, he was talking on Wednesday. Uh, he brought up Duggan. He, he made a, a point to talk about the speed of the quarterback. Uh, he can hit a home run. And, and he's like Grinch big. Saw him. Like he's a freight train coming. That, that's why. Yeah, I mean, he's really yeah, athletic. Duggan is like, Duggan is, is like Josh Allen before he got drafted. I mean, you watch Josh Allen at Wyoming. He couldn't, you know, he couldn't hit water if he fell out of a freaking boat. But he was huge <laughs> and he could run. And he was hard to tackle. I don't know tackle. if he's as I don't think he's as big as Josh Allen, but yeah, he's, probably not. He's not Allen's a, a he's a monster, but I mean, Duggan's yeah, big. Allen, Allen's a big dude. Yeah, he's a, he's a big guy. I mean, he's he's a little he's he's definitely more slight of frame than Allen, but yeah, I mean, he's he and he gets going. He gets his top speed, and he I mean, we saw it last year. I mean, he blew by everybody. Bad angles on that that long run, and Oklahoma was lucky to to catch him before he scored a touchdown. But TCU was able to score anyways. Uh, on, on tape. You see a ton of RPOs. Uh, this offense, it, it kind of reminds me a bit of Texas's offense, honestly. It's not all that complicated, but it's designed to get you to over-pursue while getting the football into the hands of their playmakers. And Duggan, he's the quarterback. He makes everything go. He's a constant threat to run. Uh, Alex Grinch talking about it. He said that you've got to make sure that you've got the right numbers in the RPO game, and you've got to have the appropriate angles to make tackles. And it's you got it. You can't over-pursue, and you can't, I guess, under-pursue because you have to be able to – when a guy's getting top speed, you got to be able to get those angles and, and catch them. Um, I, I saw uh, the jet sweep pretty effective against Kansas State in the second half. I, I, you know, normally the side-to-side stuff doesn't work all that well against Oklahoma's speed D, but uh, the question is, is Oklahoma going to be able to tackle these fast, athletic guys in space? Uh, I mean, they weren't really able to get to Duggan on that speed option last year when he was in space. So I, I know that's uh, talking to Isaiah Thomas. He – and two different kind of players. He said that playing against Ellinger a couple weeks ago gives him a lot of confidence going into a game against Max Duggan. The difference, though, obviously, is that Duggan's a lot faster than uh, Sam Ellinger. So I, I know like we're overstressing it. I mean, that's that's the game. I mean, Max Duggan's legs to me is the game. Yeah, I mean, if you if, if you shut down Max Duggan's legs, his running his running ability, and he throws for 400 yards and five touchdowns, and I guess hats off. Because he's he hasn't shown the capability of doing that yet in his you know in his college career. Um, he threw yeah he has he threw it around pretty well against Iowa State. He only played half that game and he brought yeah, them he back did. and he had good numbers had three touchdowns. But he he did have a pick though late in that game that that hurt him. He had but, um, uh, that's the only time this year he's done it. He's done that. Yeah, he had, he he had some nice throws against Texas too, where he really hung in there and when he was under he did, pressure he did, yeah. and. Like he made some big throws against Texas, so you can you can see, or at least against Texas when I watched, you could see the light starting to come on a little bit for him. But he, I mean, he's far from a finished product. He's a guy if you confuse him, you take away his first read, he he's going to struggle. But of course, he has he's got he's got the ability to run to get out of that, and that's why OU really needs to be cognizant of that. Um, geez, man, I yeah, I've, I've talked myself into being worried about this now. 
I know Max, yeah, Duggan running around is going to drive me insane on Saturday. You got to hit him. You got to hit him. Uh, Kansas State was able to hit him. He was out of the game for a bit. Uh, Downing is a, a significant downgrade, I think, at quarterback. It, it doesn't provide the same kind of athleticism and not the same arm. And, and that really hurt TCU against Kansas State. I saw Duggan throw up a jump ball. He should have been picked off by Gar- Justin Gardner of K-State in that game. So, and we, are, you know, we already saw Woody Washington with a, a nice interception of Sam Ellinger. You know, I, he could be a guy that puts the ball in harm's way. And Oklahoma's been terrible at forcing turnovers, but the Sooners are coming off of a game when they just forced three. So, and they're starting to play more. Uh, they're starting to play Woody Washington and Jaden Davis more. So maybe, maybe turnovers, maybe they can get one. Or two in this game. I don't, I don't know. Uh, you never count on them. You never count on turnovers for Oklahoma's defense, but at least there's a little bit of promise in that area. Outside of Duggan, uh, you got Tay Barber and Blair Conright. That's TCU's top wide receivers. Stats aren't very gaudy. Uh, Barber only had one catch against Kansas State, so I'm sure he'll be looking to pop. Uh, you know, it's just in, in TCU running backs wise, I mean, Duggan's their their greatest run threat he leads the team in rushing and rushing attempts uh, they got a couple running backs uh Kendry or Kendra Miller honestly I don't know how to pronounce his name and Darwin Barlow I, they're kind of just there to keep the defense honest but you know naturally even though Oklahoma's run defense has been really good this year watch those guys like bust out and go for like 100 yards each or something when Doug surprised and uh, it's, yeah I don't know surprised JD Spielman hasn't been a bigger part of their passing offense so far uh, he was a he's a transfer from Nebraska. He was Nebraska's leading receiver for three straight seasons. Um, surprised he has Apparently, not been a, yeah. a bigger part of their offense. I was I was actually pretty disappointed. He's a uh, he's a Minnesota native. There was a lot of smoke that he was going to transfer to the University of Minnesota, and it surprised a lot of people when he was going when he went to TCU. And it's man, I, I it, he doesn't seem to be that big. You know, he doesn't seem to be a huge part of the offense. Yeah, and I believe I read somewhere that he is a game time decision. He may not even play in the game. I know he played against. Uh, he played a couple weeks ago, but I'm okay, not yeah, sure. Maybe it must he's be been, some sort of injury or something. Maybe he's so. been hobbled or something. Then yeah, he's, he's good. He, I mean, he's a he's like he, he's a guy who I thought was going to fit in perfectly in the Big Twelve. He's a he's a small, little speedy slot receiver who is crafty. So I'm I'm kind of surprised that. Uh, but you know, of, of course, if he's hurt, then that changes a lot of things. All right, that's all I have on that matchup between Oklahoma's defense and TCU's offense. One thing that just thought of right now that I guess we'll see if it uh, if it factors into the game, Grant. How how is Gabe Burkich going to uh, respond or bounce back after his last kick was such a shank shank eponymous, as you said? He didn't attempt an extra point after that. He didn't attempt a kick, I believe, after that. So. He's had two weeks, or we'll have had two weeks to think about that kick. Hopefully he, um, I mean, it's, it's a cliche, but hopefully he, he gets in a better mental state and it doesn't affect him. But well, uh, it's, it's worth pointing out. We'll we, see. We will, uh, we will find out when he, uh, when he kicks a field goal from the one-yard line on the first drive of the game. <laughs> oh. I'm, I, I, you know it's going to happen again. You just know it. Got to get those points. You got gotta to. Get those points on the road. All right, we get to the point I mean, of the show. The road—that's that's when you would go for it, right? That's when you wouldn't yeah. take the points. Yeah. yeah, yeah, especially in 2020 when fans aren't full capacity, and you got to take advantage of those situations. Okay, so we haven't done this yet this season, 
but this will be the first time we talk about what we want to see happen. Obviously, we want to see Oklahoma win the game, but you know, what are some specifics? Well, can't talk. What are some specific things you want to see from this game going in? And then also, we're going to talk about what uh, what will happen in the game based on what we've seen transpire over the last four games and really over the last however many years we've been living in this on this uh, planet here. Not really sure I'm going with that, but uh, I'll transition, Grant. So what do you want to see happen on Saturday when Oklahoma goes to TCU and plays at 11 a.m.? What do you think we do? We do kind of like a, a ra- or not a rapid fire here, but we, we, we both do one and then you go. So I go, you go with, with one thing yeah. that you want to see happen. I kind of like that. Um, oh, first yeah, thing I want to, yeah, first thing I want to see happen is I do not want to see Max Duggan kill OU on scrambles where the where the secondary has has covered well they've done their job and I don't want to see the linebackers getting caught up in the muck and not being able to get to Duggan uh, like what happened with Sam Ellinger I'd like to see some two-week growth in that regard knowing that you're going up against a team that probably not as good from the pocket probably not as good throwing the ball from the pocket but the threat, of course, like we just talked about, the threat of, of when everything breaks down, Max Duggan is just, he's, he's maybe not as crafty as Sam Ellinger, but he is much, just a much better athlete, much more of a sudden, better, uh, bigger athlete. Um, we saw Deshaun White getting caught up in the muck a lot in those spy situations. Uh, we sometimes see Brian Osamoa playing so fast that he makes mental errors. Um, I want to see that cleaned up. I want, them to, I want them to understand what Max Duggan does well and how he is going to kill Oklahoma, or if, if he is going to kill Oklahoma, how he's going to do it. Um, I don't know. Maybe see a little bit of a uh, some growth in that regard. Maybe I'm asking for too much. Oh, Brian Asamoah. I feel like a jerk. I, I didn't mention him earlier when I was discussing the linebackers. I just mentioned uh, White in a way booth. So my mistake. Yeah, thanks for bringing up Asamoah. Yeah, he's, he's also in the rotation, obviously, as well there. Oh, uh, yeah, that was one of mine as well, uh, just containing Max Duggan. I'll just I'll, I'll piggyback onto it. You mentioned uh, Deshaun White getting caught up in the muck. There was a couple of plays where uh, Oklahoma on third down they would be really aggressive and they would run man coverage and they'd put Deshaun White responsible for Sam Ellinger. And both times, the first time he was blocked by an offensive lineman, and once he was out of the play, Ellinger had nobody on him and ran. And the other time. He, Ellinger was able to make a move at the line of scrimmage and Deshaun White missed him and they had tons of running room whenever they were making a comeback later. Those scenarios against TCU is going to result in massive explosive plays. That's my biggest nightmare is that play being called and the middle linebacker being responsible solely for uh, Duggan. And boy, I mean, if, if he couldn't figure out how to get Ellinger on the ground or at least catch up with him, that's not that's not good. I I didn't yeah. like what I saw against Texas, so that that's a, a big fear of mine. If Duggan gets to the second level, I mean, the thought of these defensive backs trying to tackle him who are not DTY is kind of kind of terrifying. Or, or actually. Woody Washington, or Washington, yeah, oh yeah, or Woody. Too. Yeah, I'm I'm comfortable with Woody being out there for sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, that's it. I mean, TCU's offensive line, uh, they haven't been anything special this year, so. Uh, Get after them, keep them contained. Marcus Stripling, John Michael Terry, Isaiah Thomas, all those defensive linemen, keep them in the pocket. Don't let them squirt free. And DBs, don't let Tay Barber get behind you. Don't let him get easy, explosive throws. So uh, I'll piggyback off that. And then the other one that I wanted to see offensively, and this is not going to be surprising for everyone listening to this for the entire time, I want to see Oklahoma run the football well. 
Uh, like we talked about earlier, all the ingredients are there for Oklahoma to run the ball extremely well on Saturday. Uh, simply put, if Oklahoma takes a step back in the running game against this TCU team, that's going to be extremely disappointing. Now, that's all I've got. What's your... What else do you want to see happen? Yeah, on, on offense, I I want to continue to see the progress. How about this? We haven't mentioned really we haven't really mentioned Spencer Rattler at all today. I want to see Spencer Rattler clean up his mistakes, not make some of the boneheaded kind of just careless with the football mistakes. Um, how many times has he turned it over this year? I mean, it's close to. Well, he's got I five mean, picks and he's lost at least one fumble, if not two. So yeah, he's he's turned it over six or seven times. Yeah, that's not acceptable. That, that, that's not acceptable at all. And so, yeah, we, we, we can gush about Spencer Rattler all we want and say that he's been good, and he has been good. He has been one of the best quarterbacks in college football. But you can do that and also, you know, ruin a lot of things by having six or seven bad plays and turning the ball over. Um, and I think that's, you know, he's, when he was talking to the media this week, he acknowledged it. He acknowledged where he needs to get better. Um, and I would like to see him take a step doing that because we're, I, we're at the point right now where Spencer Rattler protects the football. Um, this is a 4-0 football team, and uh, I, I just I don't think it's, it should not be that difficult to protect the football. That should be your number one priority. Yeah, this week Rattler said that uh, you know, he, he could kind of you know, pull it back a little bit and play more conservative, but uh, instead he said, you know, I'm going to play my game, but I'm going to play it smarter. Yeah. And he did a and he, he did acknowledge with uh, the turnovers, the fumbles. He said, you know, this isn't high school anymore. I can't run around with the ball in one hand. Uh, I, I got I to gotta work on ball security. He said, my goal is no turnovers this year. He said, yeah, every quarterback's goal is that. But that's my goal the rest of the season. Uh, I just got to sharpen up and, and be better at that. So, yeah, he knows it. And it's, I, I guess... Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, he's turnover free, and and even with the deficiencies on defense, I think you're right. Oklahoma's 4-0. So, you know, to be fair, uh, I have been very easy on Spencer Rattler. I'll acknowledge that, and it's because I, I see that the talent is just there, and he's he's young. Everyone knew he's going to make mistakes. That's fine. I, I just I would have liked – it's just really frustrating to me that, that the defense against certain opponents was not able to back him up more than uh, they should have. But, again, I, I agree. He could have played better, and he doesn't turn the ball over. Oklahoma's four and zero as well, so total team effort. At and, the same uh, time, some of those that. turnovers are, are are a little baked into the cake. I I expected him to turn the ball over a lot more this season than Kyler Murray did or Baker Mayfield really ever did. Um, I I just you know I didn't I didn't mention yeah, Jalen Hurts there because over. he was a walking talking turnover. But um, well, not in the first four games of the season though. I I actually looked at the numbers. Uh, not surprisingly, Rattler has more turnovers in the first four games than Mayfield did, Kyler did, and Jalen did in uh, their first years with Riley. Man, it's crazy looking back at the, the numbers. I think Jalen had the best stats of all of them through first four games. It's insane. Like highest completion percentage, like best also by far, like, <laughs> by far the easiest four game schedule to open the season, though, too. Let's see. Um, yeah, I can't. Who did Baker play? Baker had like Akron. No, oh, I, Akron. Yeah, Tennessee. I know. It's Akron, Tennessee, uh, West Virginia, and Texas. That was the first four, really. First four games. Yep. Lost see, Texas, uh, and then they won. Uh, you know, went on a streak. They didn't lose again until the Orange Bowl. Game four was Texas. I feel like that's pretty early to play. Texas. Yes, I believe so. But, huh. uh, yeah, we. I mean, I, I can be fact checked on that. I, I'd be fine with that, but I, I, I do think it was Texas. Yeah. No, no, no. Tulsa of, was in there. I, it was uh, yeah. 
Yeah, I don't think it was Texas because he had a lot of turnovers against Texas, right? Didn't he have like two or three picks or mm. something? I can't. Re- I can't remember exactly uh. if he threw any picks, but you're right. It was uh, Akron, Tennessee, Tulsa, and then West Virginia, and then Texas. So and then Kyler had uh, you know FAU, UCLA. Um, man, Army and Baylor. Army, yeah, Army, yeah, Army and Baylor. Good call. And then uh, Jalen had Houston. Uh, man, I, this was last season. Houston, Houston like UCLA. Texas, Texas Tech was in there. UCLA was in there. Texas and Tech then, was the fourth game. Yeah. Who was their third non-conference last year? I'm kind of struggling to remember that. Oh, wait, no, didn't Kyler have... Uh, Kyler had like two lanes. No, 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 I'm, I'm thinking of... Uh, that was Baker. That was Baker, but yeah, Kyler threw that bomb Baker, to, yeah. to Hollywood in the... Yeah. Hey, we should have we actually known right then and there that Kyler was different. How often do you see a backup quarterback come in and throw a ball 60 yards in the air perfectly to a backup wide receiver for an explosive play? <laughs> well, I think we knew he was different. He would, Yeah, but like, oh, yeah. I, I kind of feel like the last handful of seasons we've been just like waiting for Austin Kendall or Tanner Mordecai to look like that, and they just don't. Right, right. They, like, they're, they're not well, even really able to run like just the basic offense super competently. <laughs> I figured out why we couldn't think of the other team from uh, from Jalen Hurts because it was South Dakota. <laughs> Jeez, That's why. Like, who cares? Uh, I'm I'm actually I'm kind of I'm kind of salty that they played Missouri State this year, and like because Missouri State is, I, of course, we can go back and and look at this. What, but it wouldn't surprise me if Missouri State is legitimately the worst team that this program has played in the last twenty years. Um. They were awful. Yeah, especially it's it's terrible, especially because the way the the last three games have gone. Like if they would have played incredibly well, obviously the last three games would be like, oh, whatever. They they played you know the one game to kind of get the kinks out, and they were dealing with COVID, and they had a lot of people out, and they were trying to feel around how this is going to be. So they needed to have that that sacrificial lamb week one. We get it, but then you know you lose two out of the next three, and it's like. Eh. Yeah. Sacrificial lamb going into bye week, going into conference play. In retrospect, not a great combo. <sighs> Man, uh, how about uh, OU Tennessee would have been pretty interesting this year, would it not? If they would have played, yeah. I mean, huh. but also if they would have played, it would have been in a full off season. You know, Kennedy Brooks yeah. would have been there. You would have thought. You would have think Jalen Redmond would have been there. Maybe, yeah. Maybe, yeah. You know, I. Yeah, so it would have been interesting, but I think you know after uh, after Tennessee looked pretty good in their first couple games, haven't they just kind of looked like Tennessee the last two games? They got blown yeah, out by Georgia, say, yeah. and then they they lost last week, didn't they? Yeah, they got blown out by Kentucky. Yeah, Kentucky. Yeah, took them to yeah. the woodshed. Yeah, that was a. Uh, so I I, I do got to say this: last weekend was the least amount of college football I've watched in a weekend probably since the 1990s and um that was interesting that was interesting I, I really didn't i didn't i didn't see much last weekend but of course i mean the big 12 wasn't wasn't west virginia and kansas the only game in the big 12 yeah 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 that was the the big noon kickoff i just you know alabama georgia just didn't do much for me I, i'm like i it looked like it was a pretty good game but um i you know i just i wasn't that wasn't that excited for it we might uh, let, maybe we'll revisit this later, but we kind of got sidetracked. We're still on the uh, OU TCU game. Oh, are we? So we talked about yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so 
what will happen. I can go first if you want, but I have I have some thoughts on on what will happen in this game. Yeah, go for it. I I, th- I think we're kind of on the same page, honestly. After we talked about this uh, before the podcast began, so uh, all right. So guess what? We've seen this three games in a row. Uh, why would I expect anything else from Oklahoma in 2020? TCU's been a slow starting team. Oklahoma's played much better in the first half this year. So you know that sounds to me like we're going to get Oklahoma getting an early lead over TCU, but. As the game goes on, why wouldn't the Sooners squander it? I mean, Max Duggan, I can see him starting to loosen up the defense. Gary Patterson dials up some creative blitzes that confuse Spencer Rattler. Maybe he turns the ball over once or twice. TCU gets back in the ball game. Uh, I think TCU, I, I think they may be a smidge better than we think they are. Uh, honestly, I think they're better than I expected them to look before I started really diving in. Uh, but I, I anticipate this being another annoying annoying Oklahoma game that goes down down I don't want to say down to the wire because that's a cliche but I you know I, I don't think it's going to be decided until until the fourth quarter in, until late because I mean I'm going to bank on what we've seen so far against big 12 teams just repeating itself until I see otherwise what do you think yeah we're on exactly the same page why I mean you've seen kind of the same script three weeks or three games in a row uh, it seems like a pretty good bet to me to throw that one out there again. Um, I think OU is probably going to get an early lead, a double-digit lead. They're going to squander chances to separate, and TCU is going to be let back into the game, and then, like I said before we got on, it's going to be a butt-clincher down to the end. <laughs> uh, anybody here brave enough to make a prediction? Oklahoma's a six-and-a-half-point favorite last time I checked. At six and a half, I don't. I wouldn't touch that. Or maybe I would actually. Ah, I know. Uh, so SP, here's a, SP plus likes OU by ten. Likes OU to cover. Yeah, I don't I, though. I'm not. No, I, I. I would take TCU at that number. So yeah, here's like I'm. I'm kind of with you. I, I think Oklahoma should win the game. To me though, that line it seems a little bit low. Like the Sooners should be favored by more. I. Th- I think Oklahoma is actually pretty darn good, but. Oklahoma's consistent ability to be inconsistent that's why they're not they're not massive favorites anymore over anybody Uh, it's it's just it's really frustrating when you know what this roster I think is capable of and I think they're capable of beating this TCU team by three scores you know but you just know that they're going to do their best to allow TCU to stick around that's Oklahoma's MO so I think with that I, I don't have the guts to make a final score prediction I'll just say this. I think the tape, the tape tells me Oklahoma should win, and I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think OU is what they are. They are a high-ceiling team that is clearly young in some spots and developing depth in others. And they're also missing some big-time guys and dealing with some circumstances that a lot of people are dealing with. Um, it just so happens that where OU is hit in that regard, it's kind of been... to to the biggest detriment of their team this year like with some guys like kennedy brooks and uh well really that's kind of that's that's i mean that's that those are the big ones brooks and stevenson and i i think um i'm trying to think of like they don't really they don't really have any suspended dbs that can come in and and be amazing so <laughs> i mean i get. i mean everyone was saying that harrington apparently could have been a guy harrington yeah them if he would have stayed I, healthy so was that's, it yeah that's i think uh yeah it was, um it was either on the Sooner Scoop pod or, or inside OU earlier this week. They were saying that Harrington was a lot of people expected him to come in and win a job like right away. And he was a guy who I his 
Um, similarly to Ramondre Stevenson, who came from the from from the California JUCO ranks, uh, Justin Harrington's JUCO tape is awesome. Like he, that's what you're looking for when you're looking for guys. Like he's on there and he is thoroughly dominating everybody. I mean, when we see a highly recruited JUCO guy like Perrion Winfrey come in and have immediate impact, what's to say that Harrington couldn't have done the same thing? It's just unfortunate that he got hurt. He'll be here next year, though. That's cool. All right. Well, that's the OUTCU portion of the podcast. I know we've been doing two-plus-hour ones recently. I, I, I mean, uh, the last thing – I know you were talking a little bit a moment ago about this past weekend of college football. I'm, I'm honestly the same, and I guess let's briefly discuss that. I, Georgia-Bama didn't do much for me either, and it makes me wonder, if Oklahoma was 4-0 – and in contention for the uh, for the playoff like they have been the last you know handful of years would I have been more into this game and I'm I'm starting to I, I don't know if if my if Oklahoma being out of like the playoff picture is affecting my interest in the the larger landscape of college football and I think it might be that might be why I wasn't as into the game it probably is I mean that's that's part of it for sure um everything's just been weird this year uh or, oh yeah or is yeah. it or is it that it's. You know, I think it's or a little that. bit of both. And also, I mean, if if you've actually watched these games, um, and I mean, you know, stop me if you've heard this before. Alabama and Clemson are so much better than everybody else. I mean, it is yeah. just it's it, it's maybe the biggest gap I think we've ever seen in that regard. Uh, I mean, especially Clemson. Like they just they got off the bus on Saturday on the road, and they just they yawned and they scored seventy three points. <laughs> So I mean, in yeah, a game uh, after, like in the game after they beat up on Miami, one of the the few teams where people were like, "Oh, you know, maybe they could challenge Clemson." Clemson was like, "Yeah, no, you're not going to challenge us." And it was a straight up letdown type situation for Clemson, and they still, yeah, like you said, put up seventy or whatever, and was like, "Yeah, even if even if we're not that into it, we still are going to beat the crap out of you." Um, yeah, yeah Clemson so, I mean, is, that's probably part I, of it. Yeah. Too. It's, Clemson and Alabama are, and I, I understand that Alabama lost two games last season, but um, still in this era, those two programs are operating on a different level than I think we've ever seen in the history of college football. They just have it working. Um, and I like recruiting has never been more competitive in this sport. Game planning, scheming, and all that stuff has never been more competitive in this sport. And the the level that those programs have been able to get to is is pretty impressive. It's really impressive. Um, and of course you got, you, you have a team like LSU who just kind of comes out of nowhere and last, you know, last season, um, and, and sort of upsets the apple cart a little bit. Hey, I made this point to you again too, but I, I want to say it on the podcast just so that we can, um, just so I can put it on the record here. It's not the first time I've ever made this point on this podcast either, but uh, just to kind of go on to what I was talking about earlier with LSU and Justin Jefferson being one of the best receivers in the NFL, just right away, playing in a bad offense and not a great quarterback throwing to him either. Um, all of those guys that made up LSU's 2019 offense, probably maybe the best in the history of this sport. Every single one of those guys was on the 2018 team. Every single one. And they were below average offensively. Whoever was coordinating that offense, and you you tell me that it was Steve, uh, Steve Insminger, should never yes. work in this sport ever again. <laughs> yeah, Steve Ensminger is uh, currently, once again, the lone offensive coordinator, I believe, for LSU. But for a brief season, he, uh, he had Joe Brady 
as his uh, his co OC or whatever his whatever his title was. I don't think it was technically co OC. Yeah, like, LSU, uh, like, LSU, it was that like a passing yeah. game coordinator or like I don't. It was Joe Brady had like a really weird title, I think. At but so yeah, well, we got LSU. They're two and two. I, I gotta tell you, man, that that made it. Was it Joe Brady? Was it Joe Brady? They, I mean, they had to replace Dave Aranda too. I'm sure that 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 hurts. Oh I'm yeah, sure. that that definitely hurts. But I mean, offensively, it, it obviously was Joe Brady. I mean that it's or, there's I mean, a one it was season. Joe Brady and also that came Joe Burrow and unlocked all of that stuff. It yes. was and and now he's in the NFL and the Can- Carolina is like a like a, like a real. T- I mean they're they're a real team and they probably yeah Carolina is good yeah and um I just like I, I cannot get over that one of the best players I've ever seen play this sport Joe Burrow looked like he did in 2018. And that is absolutely the fault of the offensive coordinator, whoever was coaching him. That is Always unreal. Remember, though, I, I kept telling you, I kept telling you that he, he showed flashes. He had some ability. you just like, what are you talking about? You could see it. You could see he was pretty good. He had, uh, but yeah, his, his numbers. Look at results. His numbers, his numbers sucked. He, he, he was put in bad situations, clearly. He, you know. God, that's crazy. Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, and Terrace Marshall were, were all on that team. And I think I think LSU had like some good senior receivers on that team who graduated after that. I mean, it's unreal to me that they couldn't make that work. But hey, I I mean I remember they they um, Alabama that season went into the went into Death Valley to play at night. It was a big time deal, and they freaking shut them out. Alabama yeah. shut them out. He had Joe Burrow. You had Joe Burrow and, and three amazing receivers and Clyde Edwards Helaire. You get in the freaking I formation the entire game. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah, that was bad. That was that was an awful, awful game. Uh, all right. Well, lastly, and you kind of talked about it, I think, earlier in the show. Uh, Big Ten starts. I mean, finally, late October. It's it's here. Big Ten fans rejoice. And you know, good. Good for everyone in the Big Ten. Obviously, good for the players, the coaches, the fans. Like, I'm I'm happy we've t- we've done this before on the podcast. I'm happy that they're playing. Uh, are you excited? Excited and different. Uh, Big Ten is back. You're in Minnesota. You're a Minnesota grad, Grant. What are your thoughts? I'm I'm excited for Minnesota. Um, this was this was a season, you know, before COVID sort of started to shade everything. This was a year that I was. It was going to be interesting for me because I'm, obviously I'm always locked into OU and you know that's that's a big part of my life. But um, for the first time really in my life, Minnesota, my alma mater, they were great last year. They were a great team last year, um, and they're returning pretty much everybody off that team, and including you know who I think is the best wide receiver in college football, Rashad Bateman. Um, I'm really excited. They got everyone back on the offensive line. Um, they got, uh, they got a couple of running backs back who, who are really experienced their quarterback. Who's really accurate is back. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's fun. They're opening against Michigan, which is, uh, which is a rivalry game. I, I know a lot of people don't know that the trophy there is the little Brown jug. Sure. People only really know that back from the NCAA football days on PlayStation and Xbox. You could win that, uh, that, that trophy when, when you played that game, but, uh, it's going to be interesting for sure. Um, I, in terms of the rest of the Big Ten, do I really am I indifferent? Eh, kind of. Um, I'm pretty tunnel visioned on on my two teams this season that I really enjoy. Um, it's just been it's been really hard to follow the rest of the the college football landscape because of COVID. You don't know what you're going to get. Um, 
you have like guys are out and everything just everything still feels weird uh maybe the big 10 starting this week will will go a long way towards rectifying that and uh, the pac 12 starts in what two weeks so um sounds right yeah something like that they start the week after thanksgiving i think um not thanksgiving sorry halloween halloween yeah the se- yeah the seventh i believe and they're gonna play i think is, i know the big Ten's playing friday games is, i think the pac-12 might be playing friday games too yeah pac-12 is also playing 9 a.m games as well oh yeah <laughs> for the ele- i mean that's awesome if i was if i was on the west coast i'd be i'd be so pumped about that that's just that's just god's time zone the pacific time zone it's just wonderful well it's not great for tailgating but if you're just gonna wake up and watch tv and crack and watch football yeah that's 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 pretty great i mean they already get the uh the 10 a.m nfl kickoffs on sundays i don't know about you i like 9 a.m doesn't like that doesn't mean that tailgating can't happen like wake up early be an adult like i mean if you if if if, if it's so fun what like who cares you gotta go have fun friday night too man people want to go have fun friday though don't they I don't know. I don't know how how it works anymore. I'm just yeah. I'm I'm a morning person. I like I. I guess people don't tailgate anymore though, right? You can't. You're, you're not allowed to do it anywhere. Yeah, you're not allowed. It seems like so. Yeah, I guess that, that's not even a thing. It makes no, it a, easier to have 9 a.m. games, I guess, because there's no tailgating. I'm a morning person. I like the 11 a.m. kickoffs. I do. Uh, I, I I love the idea that um, football is a lot closer to you waking up than not. And just the the thought of a game start kicking off at 9 a.m. in the Pacific time zone, if I were there as a fan, that just sounds so amazing. What a great morning. What a great... And I, I love the morning. The morning is the best part of the day. So wh- why not add college football to it? I'm sure you'd have plenty of people that would disagree with you and debate you about oh, the I'm sure. thing. But I mean, yeah, it comes I mean, down to personal preference. That's why, you know, I mean... It's, it's personal so, so preference. So I'm trying to move west, man. Trying to move west. I, I need I, I need Go things west. to start early. Yeah, I, the mountain time zone is pretty cool. The when you visit and you travel, I, I do like sporting events starting earlier, and so. I mean, especially right, I like if you're in Vegas or something like that. Like, oof, games start two yeah. hours earlier. They get done, and you can go go gamble afterwards, do fun yeah. stuff. And there's still plenty of time. Ah, perfection. Okay, well, I'm curious to see if the Big Ten being back gets my interest up a little bit more. I tend to think that it's my level of excitement's not going to change one way or the one way or the other. Uh, the only thought I have it, it's kind of like a non sequitur, and who cares? But I think it's dumb that for the last three or four weeks in the AP poll, people have been ranking teams that haven't played games yet. That's stupid. Just I also think that's lame. Why? Why are you doing that? Uh, yeah. I, like you're not required to rank them. Like I don't know. I mean, because like the playoff thing, it, that's a, its own thing. So it's not like uh, Ohio State starting, you know, not being ranked for however many weeks is going to hurt their playoff chances or whatever. Because once they start playing, people will probably be like, oh, okay, Ohio State's playing now. Let's put them where we think they are. You know, like I don't know. Well, I mean, talk cares? about a situation that we've never seen before. Probably never will see again. I mean. Rest of college football has been playing for nearly two months already, and geez, man, you got Ohio State just coming right in now, and the rest of the Big Ten, and it, it's it's yeah, definitely going to be interesting. But I, but this is, you know, we, when we talk about why we love college football, and um, you know, what sets it apart from from professional sports, it's the it's the uniqueness of it. This is the way that this has gone is uniquely college football. The regional differences 
and the, and the different conferences kind of doing their own thing is why college football is great. But, but also at the same time, it'd be nice if they could kind of all get on the same page and figure out some kind of like uniform scheduling and whatnot. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but I'll take this. Well, I maybe mean, this. Yeah. These differences yeah. create fun storylines. Uh, maybe this 2020 season will down the line lead to drastic change and make the sport better schedule wise and playoff wise. You know, who, who knows? I mean, the fact that everyone's going to play now, like maybe makes it a little less likely. I think if some teams actually like if the Big Ten and the Pac-12 did sit the fall out, I mean, I think that would I could see that leading to some incredible drastic change. But since thankfully everyone's going to be able to play because, again, it's it's about the players. It's about those student athletes that we're not going to be able to play football or any of their other fall sports this year because finally the adults realize, yeah, they're not going to this. The spring's not going to work. That was never going to work. That was ridiculous to even put that out there. And I think silently those people finally based based on what we've seen by them green lighting football in the fall, they acknowledge that. Yeah, we got to play. So I'm happy for all those people. I think uh, <laughs> I'm just happy that college football is here and, I'm not interested in relitigating the uh, the fights of August and September. At least not today. Maybe down the line. That's all I got for today. We'll be back next week with our thoughts on Oklahoma TCU. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. <laughs>